Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and the opportunity now to open your word. We pray as we open your word that we will hear your word and that your word will speak to our hearts and that we will walk and live by your words. We walk with you this week. So we ask your blessing upon this time now. May your words be heard. In Christ's name, amen. This is Palm Sunday, and uh, traditionally, uh, this is a Sunday in the church calendar that oftentimes is associated with children. If you think back over the years, we've had uh, times where children come down and uh, waving palm branches, and there's something about Palm Sunday that really sort of incorporates children into our thinking. You know, a lot of the pictures that you will see of Palm Sunday, I can guarantee any, any artist's renditioning of Palm Sunday, you will always see children predominantly featured uh, in the picture, in the scene. Always. And it's kind of interesting, as I was thinking about that, as we're going to uh, continue in uh, Mark this morning as we are on the road to the cross for a few weeks here. I was thinking about that, and, and I was going to look into this a little bit more, and I looked up all the accounts of the uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the interesting thing is, is that children don't really figure predominantly in it. Uh, it's, it's the passage that we read from John this morning about what the people shouted and the things they said and the, and the anticipation of the king coming uh, doesn't really feature children. And actually, where the children are, are featured, if you look at Matthew 21 for a minute, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all bring us the accounts of um, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, you'll notice in Matthew chapter 21, it's in the same context that after Jesus has come into Jerusalem, that he goes into the temple. And when he is in the temple, it says Jesus entered the temple area in verse 12, Matthew 21, 12, and he drove out all who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers. So you're probably familiar with this account where he, he drives out. They were, they were selling, uh, they were selling the, the, the doves and the various uh, animals to be sacrificed at, a, at uh, a higher prices than they should have. And they were taking advantage of the people, the pilgrims that all came to Jerusalem for Passover. And he says, you've made, you've made my house, it was supposed to be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and all the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children, this is where the children feature in the story, the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You have ordained praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. And so I think the assumption we can make, which is true, the children proclaiming in the temple, Hosanna, uh, Hosanna, save now. The, the word Hosanna, it's the same word really in the Hebrew 
of uh, uh, Yeshua comes from, to save. And na means now. Save now. Save now. And they were proclaiming the passages that were understood in the Old Testament to be speaking about the coming Messiah. They were proclaiming those about Jesus. And the children were crying this out. And I, so I think it's true. We can assume that this was a continuation of what took place as they rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, that the children laid down the, the palm, and the people all laid down palm leaves as an act of respect for the coming king. The riding on a donkey was a sign that the king came in peace, and not as a warrior, he came in peace. And, and, and as they prepared for him, as he came into Jerusalem, and hence we have the tradition of children so associated with Palm Sunday. And it really comes from this event in the temple where they were crying out and blessing his name and the, and the Sanhedrin, the, the chief priests and scribes, and tell them to be quiet, tell them to be quiet. And we've already seen, of course, as you read the, the, Palm, the Palm Sunday story, when Jesus came in and they, and they told him to tell your disciples to be quiet. And Jesus says, I tell you, if they did, even the stones would cry out on this day of celebration. So I like, so here's my point this morning. It's interesting to me, as I was looking at Mark, I'd like you to turn back to Mark chapter 9, where we were last week. And as I was considering this and looking at Mark, it kind of dawned on me, reading Mark 9 and Mark 10, and then going into um, Mark's account of, of the... Uh, the, the, the Passion Week, the triumphal entry in chapter 11, which this would take place in that we just read, it just kind of occurred to me that it's interesting in this section of Scripture, Mark you know, is the shortest of the Gospels. His is the shortest. As I mentioned last week, there's a good chance, many, many people believe, that this is kind of Peter's Gospel in the sense that Mark served with Peter. And Peter was an eyewitness, of course, firsthand account of all these things, and that this may have been Peter's account given to Mark that Mark recorded and, and, and uh, put together, inspired by God, to leave us, to leave us. And it's interesting that in these last chapters of a short gospel, that children figure prominently. And it just kind of struck me, kind of jumped out at me. That it's kind of interesting that children... Uh, figure so prominently. Now, you'd have to put yourself into the first century. You know, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, concern and, and, and care we give, you know, to children in our, in our culture. We are, we are as parents and as a church and as families. In the first century, uh, not necessarily so. Uh, children were not always held in, in really high esteem. Uh, they were not really given the care and concern, and, and, and maybe we'll see today in some cultures and stuff today even. And, and yet, yet in this part of the gospel, children figure prominently. And it's the two stories of Jesus with the children that really take place in this last section. And this last section has to do with the time frame. Jesus had three years of public ministry. The three years were, were all spent up in Galilee, and then as he makes the journey down to Jerusalem, now the Gospel of John tells us of two, two other trips to Jerusalem, like our, our friend from Jews for Jesus shared last week from John chapter 10. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they really just focus on one trip to, to Jerusalem. And it's interesting, as his Galilean ministry wraps up, 
and he begins his journey to the cross at Calvary, that these two accounts of Jesus and the children appear. And then we have the children proclaiming in the temple when the Pharisees and scribes would not recognize it, but the children recognized who he was. And so I'd like to look, first of all, in Mark Mark chapter 9, and in verse, verse 33, in Mark chapter 9 and verse 33, they came to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is, is Jesus' home base ministry in Galilee. It was, it was where Peter uh, came from. They stayed at Peter's mother-in-law's house. And uh, this was his home base. So he's wrapping up his Galilean ministry. And this is his last time really in Capernaum before he heads down to, to Jerusalem. So they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, the probably... Peter's mother, mother-in-law's house. You can go see the remnants of the, the, foot, the footprint of it even today when you go there. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? I don't know about you, but my mother every so often would use that phrase that I have eyes in the back of my head. <laughs> you ever see anybody with eyes in the back of their head? No. But you know what that means, doesn't it? It means with that when, when I'm turned around right now, you don't think I'm seeing you, but I really am, Right? I am, really. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this, this idea that I, I know what you're doing. I can hear you. I, 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 I see through this. And it's interesting, Jesus, of course, being the Lord, he really knew what they were thinking. And he says, by the way, what were you guys arguing about as we were traveling down the road here to Capernaum? And you notice it says they kept quiet. <laughs> you've, you've done that, right? When mom or someone says, what... Not me. I, you know, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus says, what are you guys arguing about? And, and they just, they didn't say anything. They didn't say anything because they were probably a little embarrassed because it tells us on the way to Capernaum, they had argued about who was the greatest. And we know from the other Gospels, the question comes right out, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? But they were arguing about this. Now, possibly the background is, you know, last week we looked at the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Who went up to the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus? Huh? Peter, James, and John. How many is that? Three. How many disciples were there? Twelve, plus the larger crowd around them. Uh, Is it possible this was the source or the root of the argument, maybe, that, um, you know, Peter, James, and John got to go and they got to be involved with this. The other nine were not invited to the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, they are expecting the Lord to, to bring in this Messianic kingdom. He, is, he tells them they will sit on the tribes of Israel and judge them. Um, we don't really know, but they were arguing among themselves who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who would be the greatest? And so Jesus, in verse 36 It says, he took a little child, and he had him stand among them. Now, the the term here for little child is sort of, um, the parameters are pretty large. It could be uh, uh, an infant. You know, it could be a a really young preschooler. It could be an older child. Uh, The the word is, is fairly flexible. Given the context in these cases, of Jesus picking him up and holding him in his arms, uh, it probably was not a junior high age student. Let's put it that way, okay? It's probably, probably younger than you guys, okay? Um, 
But it says he took a little child and he had them stand among them. And then it goes on to say, taking him in his arms. He didn't have to do that. He could just sit here, stand here for a minute. But he took this child and he took the child and he, and he put the child in his arms. And he, he put the child in his arms. And he says this. And look what he says here. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. You know, like many of you, I've read the Bible quite a bit. And you read through these accounts and you you pretty well think you know what, what we're talking about. But as I read that, I really kind of stopped on that phrase and I sort of pondered on that. And I thought, well, what does this really mean? I mean, I mean, look at that. He picks up a child. He calls a child forward. He, he holds a child. And he says this to his disciples. And it's in this context of them arguing about who is the greatest. Who will be the greatest in the, in, in the, kingdom, of, in the kingdom? And he says, I mean, look at this again. What does he mean by this? What does he mean? Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. That is, of course, God the Father. I want you to think about that phrase for a minute. Think about that statement. I wonder what his disciples thought. Because that's a pretty powerful statement that if you welcome one of these children, you are welcoming the Lord Jesus Christ. But you are actually welcoming God because he is the one who sent the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he does with his parables, with his uh, stories like this, with his analogies, he doesn't want to really explain any more than that. Occasionally he does, like the parable of the the seed on the way, and he explains it to them later. Uh, in this particular case, he, doesn't exp- he just leaves it there and leaves his disciples to, to interpret and to, and to wonder about this. What does this mean? I ask you, what does this mean? What does it mean that you welcome the Lord Jesus Christ if you welcomed one of these children? Maybe the context can help us. The context is they were arguing about who is what? The greatest. Uh, this year, is, I saw a magazine the other day, 50th anniversary of uh, Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali. And of course, he was known for what statement? I am what? Greatest. I am the greatest. I am the greatest. And in his case, he pretty well backed it up, didn't he? <laughs> with, with his skills. Uh, when it came to his, his particular field of sport. Uh, I am the greatest. Who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? And Jesus says, if you welcome this child, you welcome me. You welcome me, you welcome God. God is the greatest. God is greatest. You know, what do children represent in this story? What do children represent? Well, we'll come back to this, but you go on to chapter 10, and when you come to chapter 10, like I say, this is interesting to me. This is sort of concentrated, these two stories about children, and then the third with the Hosanna, 
that are concentrated in this very important part of the Lord's ministry as he's going to the cross of Calvary. And there's many things Mark doesn't tell us, but he does, all three of the gospel writers, tell us about this. And as they come to in Mark chapter 10, and it says, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have, have him touch them. To have him touch them. Now you notice in verse 1 of chapter 10, he left that place and he went into the region of Judea across the Jordan. So Jesus has left Galilee. He's left Capernaum. He's beginning the last leg of his earthly ministry. He's, he's, he's going toward Jerusalem. And he has come into Judea. He's, he's coming north to south. He comes down to Judea. He's coming toward Jerusalem. He's coming toward the end of his, his earthly life, to his suffering on the cross. And as he comes there, it says people were bringing to him little children to have, to have him touch them. They, didn't, they weren't asking for it. They just said they weren't even asking for a blessing. There's an assumption here they were asking for some kind of like rabbinical type blessing, which the rabbis would give, and Jesus was a teacher. But it just says they were asking if Jesus could just be near them, just touch them. It's interesting, the ones bringing the children, it is in the masculine, and so it, it indicates it's, it's males who are bringing the children. And many of the commentators point out, given the context of the story and how Jesus responds and how we look at those pronouns and so on, that it's possible, there's a good possibility, that even the ones bringing the children might be older children, like brothers, older brothers who are bringing the young ones, brothers and sisters, to Jesus. Now, if you've ever traveled in some of the airports, one of the things that really struck us when we were in Africa, in Zambia, back in 1998, and was how many children took care of children? Am I right, Gretchen? You know, how many, how many children took care of children? And Phyllis, I'm sure you've seen this too, in the, in the ministry of Rafiki that Dave and Gretchen and, and Phyllis have been involved with. You see it all the time. You see children that we would consider maybe older grade school age here carrying young children because they were taking care of their siblings. And so it is a very good possibility that you have older children bringing younger children. They're, they're out on the road. It's dusty. It's dirty. It's hot. They're going to Jerusalem. This is a critical time in Jesus' ministry. The, the disciples are beginning to sense probably that something big is happening. They don't go to Jerusalem very often. They are going for Passover. There is opposition. Things are working toward kind of a fever pitch. The crowds are getting bigger and bigger. The name of Jesus is spreading uh, to the fact that even as they, as they travel through Samaria, we know in the Gospels that the lepers, the, Samar the, the, the lepers and the Samaritan leper just stand at a distance and say, Lord, have mercy on us. They stand off in a distance. They've heard about him. They know about it. It's, it's beginning to build. And the disciples are in the middle of this. They are, they are the disciples of the, of the possible potential Messiah who's about to, 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 to break forth in Israel. And here they are, the, the close inner group. And these, and these maybe young boys are bringing their siblings. If not, then the fathers are bringing the siblings and they want Jesus to just take time to touch them. And Nosa says, the disciples rebuked them. The disciples said, no, 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 we don't have time for this. No, no, this is not today. Take them away. And it says they rebuked them. I mean, they actually got kind of upset with them and said, no, not children. No, no children today. Now, these are the same guys who 
not that much time previously. We don't know how much time has passed, but in our Bible, it's only one chapter, okay? Who had just been in the situation where Jesus says, now, wait a minute, you guys, sit down for a second. I want to tell you something. And he takes a child, puts the child in his lap and says, anyone who what? What? Who welcomes this child, what? Welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, what? Welcomes God. And here, one chapter later, however much time has transpired, somebody, the children are coming, and what are the disciples? Are they welcoming them? No, they're rebuking, and they're saying, no, this is not today. We're, this is not important, not today. And you notice what it says here. And this is important because, if I'm not mistaken, this is the only place in the Bible where this word is used about Jesus. I mean, he encountered a lot of opposition. He encountered a lot of bad stuff. He encountered demons. He encountered Pharisees and scribes who were trying to to, to kill him. But look what it says here. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He is angry. This is a strong word, friends. This is a strong word. This is not just a mild uh, upset or discomfort or, or, or a difference of opinion. He is angry. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the only time this word is used of Jesus in the Gospels. He is really angry at these guys, his brothers, his disciples. They had just been told this story about welcoming children and you welcome God. And not only do they not welcome, they are mad, rude, and turning the children away. And look what Jesus says. A very famous passage of Scripture that so many know. Let the little children come to me. And, it's, and it's in, the, in the Greek language, it's very staccato. It's boom, 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 boom. It's, it's, this is not, he's not changed his tone and said, okay, I'm sorry I got mad at you guys. No, he is angry with them. And he says, like, like when your parents, you know, when you get angry with you and say, you better do this right now, right? You know what that means, okay? Now my mom would say, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, all right? My dad would use his Spanish and say, andale, andale, which I think meant hurry up, <laughs> okay? I didn't know Spanish, but uh, he, he knew it from his Ladino Jewish background. Uh, all I know is when he said that, get going, okay? Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now this, and here's another statement we'll, we'll throw in there in the mix with whoever welcomes them welcomes me. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms. This, this is great. He just stops. He's done talking to the disciples. I mean, there are people who, who are making tremendous demands on his time. He is going to Jerusalem to accomplish the most important thing that could possibly be accomplished. He is going to the cross of Calvary. Can you imagine what is on his mind? Can you imagine what... You know, when you have something hanging over you that, that, that you know is going to hurt, you know is going to be hard, and the anticipation and, and, and how you work through that, 
You know it's going to happen. He knows where he is going. He knows already what it's going to be like, the pain he's going to suffer on the cross at Calvary. But he stops. He stops everything. And he picks up the children in his arms and he puts his hands on all of them and he blessed them. He blessed them. And he rebuked his disciples because they didn't get it from just the chapter previous of what they were supposed to do. And he blessed the children. You know, for this one brief shining moment, you could say, on the way to the cross, there are not going to be a lot of calm, peaceful, gentle times between here and the cross. But for this moment, everything stops. And he gathers in the children. And they are the most important individuals on planet Earth at that moment and that time. And he takes time. And knowing Jesus, the way we know him through the scriptures, how he took time, I would assume that he he took time with each one and blessed them individually. God's blessing over them. These little children who he put down and probably scurried and scampered off and went back to what they were doing. Why are these important announcements? What does it mean? You know, um, when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's a multifaceted word. Sometimes we get a little bit narrow in our, in our look at it and say, well, every time we hear the word kingdom, he, he means specifically the earthly messianic kingdom. But that's not true, you know. There are times when he does speak about the coming earthly messianic kingdom when the Messiah, the king, according to Old Testament prophecy and his own words, will reign on earth. There is also the concept of the overall kingdom of God, as the Apostle Paul talked about. At the end of the book of Acts, in chapter 28, the book concludes with he stayed in his own house, that is, Paul stayed in his own house, and for two years welcomed and preached, and he taught about the kingdom of God. And at the end of Timothy, the last book Paul writes, he talks about God welcoming him to his blessed kingdom. The kingdom of God is a big picture. It's the overall umbrella of everything. And underneath that umbrella, there is the specific kingdom on earth, the Messianic kingdom. There are other kingdoms. And so we have to dif- differentiate. You know, what are we talking about here? And I personally, when, when he says this here, and he says, do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I think this myself is a, I, I use the term interdispensational truth. It's, it's a principle that, that crosses all the ages from, from the Old Testament to the New. Abraham, when, when God said to Abraham, Abraham, look at the stars of the sky and count them if you can. That's how many children you're going to have. Abraham was close to 100 years old and he didn't have one child. But what's to say? Abraham what? Believed God in simple, childlike faith. He said, okay. And God claimed him as righteous. There are countless stories of faith in the Old Testament of people who believed God when they, they had no reason to believe him. When, when, they, when they crossed the Jordan River and, and, Mo, and Joshua was told, you step in that river this time. You're not going to wait for me to divide it. You step in it. 
And when you step in it and start walking, I'll divide it. And they did it. That's not supposed to happen. Water doesn't divide, but if you have faith in God's word. And I think we have a, a principle that transcends the ages, the dispensations. And it's just as operative for us today. That for those who are going to receive the message that we know today of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we proclaim, especially this week at Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is a point at which you have to accept it with simple faith. You can't figure it all out. You can't prove everything. Yes, you can reason. You can use apologetics. It makes sense. But there comes a point where you have to simply say, all right, God, I believe it. And you know, this is, this, look at the difference. And I think this is the point here. The very, next, the very next story, when Jesus says, anybody who's going to receive the kingdom in this particular context, he hasn't died yet. But they know what he's talking about. He says you must accept it as a childlike faith. Look at the next story. As Jesus started on his way, verse 17, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, what must I do to eternal, inherit eternal life? This man is not trying to trick him. He's not trying to cause a problem. He's not trying to be obnoxious. He is genuine. He is honest. He is coming to this, this wonderful rabbi, this teacher. He is coming in all honesty and say, Lord, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And this is the story where Jesus goes on, first of all, and says, why, why, do, you, why, do, you, call me, why do you call me good? You know that there is, there is, none, there is none good but, but God. And then he goes on to say, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. You know, do, you know the commandments. And he says in verse 20, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. This is a man who is sincere about following God. Jesus looked at him, and this is great. Look at this detail Mark gives us. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him. He had compassion on him. And he says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Why did Jesus say, this is not a command. He didn't tell other people this. This is not a command for all time. He didn't tell everybody else this. But in this particular case, to this particular individual, he is asking for him to evidence his faith by doing what he said. And you can read the rest of the story. The man looked down and says, I can't do that. I can't do that. And he went away sad. Look at the difference. Anyone who will come with childlike faith, and the next story is a man who refuses to have that type of of faith. There's something about children. We use the word innocent, but they're not innocent. Any of you here are parents or grandparents? You know that, right? Have your children ever done anything wrong? Don't raise your hands, <laughs> okay? We talk a lot today, you know, about bullying and, and how to deal with bullying, for example. I mean, children are not innocent, in the sense that, that they never hurt each other, they never mean to each other, they never disobey. But there is a sense, I think, twofold in these stories 
that children represent servanthood. Because Jesus said, if you want to be greatest, you must become the least. And in the first century, children were not the greatest. They were the least powerful. They were the least, in fact, even, even an average family, a dad would hire a tutor or someone to, to take care of his children until they got old enough to, to deal with the business and so on. They represent the idea that you have to make yourself the least, a diaconus, a servant, deacon. That's where the word deacon comes from. It's servant. Deaconesses, it's servants. You must become a servant if you really want to be the greatest. And you must come in the simplicity of faith. Simplicity of faith. Like it's, that's one thing about children. That's one thing about children. And that's why we make no apologies. Apologies. We don't ever apologize for making the gospel presentation clear to our children. When someone says to me, well, that's not, they don't understand. Hey, this is the whole point of it. Most people that come to Christ come before they're 18 years old. You know that. Because when they come as, as children, there is a simplicity of faith and acceptance in God's word. And you don't have to convince them there is a God. You don't have to argue with them that there is a God. To explain the message of the gospel and the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's that simplicity of genuine faith that children can have. And it happens every day. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And as we think about our ministry here, I want to, I want to think about this, a couple of things in closing. Because, you know, I grew up in this church. This is my home church. And my wife did too. We grew up here. We, we left another church in 1964. And we came here, when I say we, because her parents, my mom, many of you parents and grandparents, and began this work. There was nothing here but property. And the, the property was purchased, and sacrifices were made. We met in a school. And, and, but you know, growing up in this church, and looking back, one of the things I distinctly remember was being told over and over again by our pastor that we are building this building for our children and youth. And I believed it. And I thought they really meant it, because they did. And if you look at the footprint of this building, the money we, that was put into this building back in 1964 to 1966, we put as much money into that building and the rooms downstairs as we did into this building. Our first hire was a Christian education director, pastor, and then a youth pastor. Bruce Kemper was our youth pastor. He left to go to Spokane, as Ellen told us, and started the church there. And we hired a Christian education pastor and a youth pastor. And we couldn't afford that. We, we, were, we didn't even have a building. We hired three staff. We, we raised money for these buildings. People here that gave and gave. Why? Because the message was we are doing this for our children and, our, and, our, and the future so they will have a place to call their own and to have a place a church home. And we created a culture in this church where children and youth are important. 
That's part of our church culture. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. And I want to tell you this morning, friends, this is not just for us, to you and your family. This is to us as a church family. The children, listen. Can you hear them downstairs? You can hear that, Kyle? I can hear him. Oh, come on. <laughs> Don't tell his wife that. He hasn't been listening to you, Nancy. Yeah. I can hear her. They're down there right now. They're outside having a good time. Susie asked me, is it okay if we said, of course you can do that today. This is Berean. And if the day ever comes where, where we complain because our children are, are here and, and, and are bothering us, man, we're in trouble. We're in big trouble. As a family of God, they are our children. And we are called to welcome them. Listen, Jesus said, when you welcome them, you welcome me. You know what? I think that's true. I'm going to put myself out there. I think that's a principle that's still true today because we are welcoming this simplistic faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to continue the culture because you can never take it for granted that children are welcome at Berean Bible Church. Children are welcome. And that means, friends, you should get to know them. You should know some of their names. When you see them in the hallway, when you pass them in the parking lot, it's okay to stop and take time. And, and I know there's a lot of fear today with children talking to adults and so on. We understand that. But in our church context and in our culture, you should know these children. You should be able to greet them by name, some of them. Don't be afraid to ask the parents and talk to them and be a part of their lives. Welcome them. Always welcome them. Children are a heritage from the Lord. That's not what everybody believes today. But we believe that. We believe that. We are called to provide for them. In the Old Testament, they were told, Moses told the people before he died, these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, he says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but train them up in the things of God. Provide for them. We as a church family, as we come to celebrate Easter once again, Continue to commit ourselves. Listen, when you put your gifts in the offering plate at Berean Bible Church, a lot of those funds are going to our children and youth ministries. This building is busy all week long. We've, that gym we built and we added in 1973 before Pastor Peterson died and named it after him because that was appropriate, because that was his dream. He wanted us to have our own place so our kids on Wednesday night didn't have to go somewhere else to play games and come back here. He wanted a place for our youth. He wanted a place for church family events. And that was able to be accomplished and, and dedicated in his name, and that's appropriate. We need to provide. We need to sacrifice. We need to always make it important. The children and the youth ministry in this church. We need to welcome them. 
We need to provide for them. We need teachers. We need resources. We need opportunities for them to serve. When these young people go to Puerto Rico this summer, we are, as a church family, we need you to help support that. You, maybe you don't like baked goods. <laughs> or maybe you're on a diet or something, you know, but, but you can buy one anyway. You don't have to, but if you can, the money is going toward their trip to Puerto Rico because we want them to have an opportunity to serve and to lead and to be a part of our ministry. We've raised these children. I've raised these children. I've dedicated several of these children. They are my children. And we need to care for them. Psalm 139. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. We need to care for them because they are God's children. Jesus said, when you welcome them, you welcome me. And when you welcome me, you welcome God. These are God's children. Yes, they're your children. They're our children. They're God's children. And this is why, in, in our tradition, yes, we do not support abortion. Because even if you don't know, if, 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 if it was anything else in life and you didn't know for sure if it was a life or not, you have to err on the side of life. You have to. You know, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Roman Catholic. You know that, but I always, I always love what Mother Teresa said. I mean, she said, there's no unwanted children. Give them to us. We want them. We'll take them. And, and the sisters that they worked with, you know, in this poor situation, we'll take them. They're wanted. And as Christians, you know, it's one thing to oppose something, but it's another thing to support. And are we doing our part to, to encourage and support and, and, and help with those who are adopting and caring and foster children? Are we, make, are we helping young mothers that, 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 to, to bring their babies into the world? What do we do? It's not just what we don't do. What do we do? Welcome them. Provide for them. Care for them. Listen, are you praying for the children in this church? When you see these little ones in the hallway, are you praying for them? That's why I want you to know their names. Are you praying for them? And for these young people, when they go, the advertising we'll be doing about the trips and camps, are you praying for them? Are you encouraging them? How are you doing that? Listen, you know, you want this church to grow. You want people to come here. We want this to be a, a place where people are, are worshiping and studying and celebrating. And I'll tell you something. Families, families will share in this ministry if they believe their kids are loved and cared for. You may not like everything we do about music. You may not like me as a pastor. I like you, but you may not like me. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> It's okay. You may not like other things we do. Or who knows? But I'll tell you one thing. If parents sense that this is a place that cares about their children and is teaching them God's word and is giving them an opportunity to grow and to serve, they will come. We want this to be a place, a culture, a DNA, that we are true to how we started. 
We, I, want my, I want my grandchildren, I want my grandchildren to grow up as my children did, thinking that we are here for them. That's what I want. You know, I don't know about you in your house, you probably have downstairs, somewhere in your house, old pictures or calendars or something that, something the other day I said to Teresa, how long has that calendar been there? She says, it's been there for years. It's an old, old calendar from, I don't know what, I didn't even pay attention anymore. At her parents' house, when her mom and dad died, and we went to clean out the house, get rid of everything, because we had to do that. It was time to get, the house was being sold. Get rid of everything. Uh, we were downstairs, and you know, it's one of these things where, don't throw that away. <laughs> well, do you want it? No. Do you want it? No. Do you want it? No. Okay. <laughs> you know. But there was one thing hanging up on the wall, a little picture, hanging up downstairs uh, where trainer, I've told you before, Teresa's dad, he was a prayer warrior. I can remember him, I don't know how many times, Craig and Christina, he asked me about your daughter. I don't know how many times. He didn't even know her, but he read the bulletin. How is she doing? How's that situation with the heart surgery? How's it going? If he were here today, Andy, he'd, you know, with Mikey, he'd be asking us every week, how's Mikey doing? What's going on? What's, he was just a prayer warrior. He literally had ruts in his chair from running his hands. He had a path beaten in the, in the rug from praying. Gary's grandpa. Gary's grandpa. Emily's grandpa. Downstairs in his, in his wall was this picture. It's just about this big. And it's about this big. It's just an old beat up, cheap, <laughs> cheap picture. But I took that the few things I just took because, oh, I didn't steal it. I mean, it was going to go, you know. <laughs> it was going to go. But I took that picture because that just screamed trainer. Trainer's grandpa. Happy times with Jesus. Happy times. Happy times with Jesus. It's hanging up in my office. You know, when there's coaches and teams, the Seahawks, you know, they had a, a saying as they went out the locker room, you know, coaches do this. You might have this at your work. Uh, in my office, as you go out my door, uh, there's, there it is. Just a reminder of why we're here and who we are. This is a place. There's a lot of hardship in this world, a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties, but I want my grandchildren to think of Bree and Bible Church as a place where there were happy times with Jesus. Prayer. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you today on behalf of my family for providing a church home where uh, we were loved and still are. We were taught your word. We were given the opportunity to serve, to minister, even when we were young, when we didn't really even know what we were doing always. But we had that privilege. I think of the mothers and fathers that I have had in this church. 
And I want to thank you to my kids, my children, grew up in a place that cared about them and provided and loved them and served them. And now my grandchildren. And Lord, I want to thank you for all the children and the youth that you have given us the privilege to sacrifice for. And may this always remain a place where children and youth are welcome, where they are loved, and where they are cared about. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.